Welcome to the Breaking Stars podcast, where it features stories of people from non-traditional backgrounds that broke into tech. A wise woman once said, man that says that it cannot be done should not interrupt the woman that is doing it. A lot of people talk about changing the ratio, but few people are doing it, which is why we decided to interview today's guest, Dr. Carol Langlois, because she is doing it through her work as the VP of Admissions, Marketing, and Student Life at Hackbright Academy. For those of you that don't know, Hackbright Academy is a coding boot camp focused on women. And this episode is not just great because of that, but also because we talk about Dr. Carol's focus on female self-esteem through her Girl Talk program. In addition to that, we talk about Carol's work as an academic through Mills College and the University of San Francisco, going deeper into how admissions, student marketing and services and recruitment work in the traditional educational space. Um, And it's a great segue to Breaking Stars focus, not just on people that broke into tech, but also subject matter like mental health, salary inequity, layoffs, navigating politics and things like that, that you're going to need to know after you break into tech. If you are inspired by this episode, never forget that you can take the Breaking Stars five-step challenge at breakingstars.com slash challenge. And if you are looking for resources, check out the list of recommended resources that we provide that you could use at your own discretion at breakingstars.com slash resources. And you have a 10,000 member group of people on Facebook at our breakingstars.com at our Breaking Stars Facebook page. Uh, please leave a review on iTunes to let us know what you think or tweet us at Everest10x so that we can share your insight and your feedback and so that we can grow and improve over time. So without further ado, let's break in. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10x. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Archer and Timo Meister, and this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Timo, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah, so we're recording the fourth and the last interview of the day out of Hagbright. For those of you who don't know, Hagbright is a bootcamp that teaches women how to code. And what's cool about Hagbright is as you walk around their campus, you see post it notes on the walls with words of encouragement. And they're hanging on the windows, bathroom doors, bathroom mirrors, which is really amazing because it gives their campus a true sense of community. Ruben, can you please introduce our guest? Yeah, we're here with Dr. Carol Langlois, who grew up in Boston, but she's here in the Bay Area now. Uh, she is a lifelong educator who used to run the business program at USF. She was the dean at Mills College and the founder of Higher Education Specialists. And she actually did a dissertation in female self-esteem development that led her to creating a book called Girl Talk, where she interviewed over 200 high school women on the subject. Girl Talk was also turned into a play called Teen Monologues. And just in case you're wondering, you could check out the next performance that's going to be on August 24th. And that led her to Hackbright, where she's been the vice president in admissions, marketing, and student life. Today is also her birthday. So shout out to the March Babies, Aries in the house, and thank you for being us. Happy birthday. My birthday is on Thursday, so we are definitely the best. Legends are born in March. Mm-hmm. Shout out to March That's Madness right. and everything. And, and Arthur, talk a little bit more about why 
the story is yeah, unique. I think it's super special to have you here. So you've you've have you have multiple degrees, and you've also been dean of a business school. Um, you've been uh, dean of multiple educational institutions, and now you're helping with Hagbride, which is a three month coding bootcamp. And so it's very different than a traditional education establishment. So I'm really curious to hear like what is your view of like where the education space is going and what are we going to see the next five to 10 years happen to the jobs economy? Sure. I worked in traditional higher ed for over 20 years. So I've worked at four different universities, a lot of different departments, a lot of different positions and opportunities. Universities have their place. And I think for growth of an individual, a college experience is great because you have to learn how to work with others, live with others, time management, you know, a whole plethora of things that help you become the adult that you become today. But I also think there's a lot of things about traditional higher ed that are broken or could be remodeled. I think one of the first things is that if you look at a traditional undergraduate institution or a student in traditional undergrad, the average age is no longer 19. The average age is a little bit older. So we're working with people who are probably already out there in the community working. A traditional program at a university taking classes at 8.30 in the morning may not work for them. These are people who could be single parents. They could work in the morning. They may need to work in the evening. So I think universities really need to adapt to the population, not expecting the population to adapt to them. And that would mean offering courses in a very different structure at very different times during the week. Yeah. yeah. And here at Hagbride, you focus on providing like almost like a skill, like a vocational school where you're teaching them how to code not like the theory, but more about the practical things that they start becoming contributors on day one. So um, can you talk a little bit more about like some of the unique experiences that you had at Mills that kind of like you've been bringing to Hackbright, given that it, it does have a focus on, on women? I think Mills College is a very unique institution. It's an amazing institution. It's beautiful. It really teaches empowerment and you can feel it. You can see it. You can smell it when you walk across campus. And I think it forms an amazing sense of community amongst the students that are there. It also pushes women forward with this strong sense of empowerment that you can do it. You can be anything that you want to be. The faculty believe it, the staff believe it, and the students believe it. So it's this beautiful kind of culmination of all these experiences. And the women graduate from there feeling confident, feeling vibrant, feeling ready to kind of conquer and take on the world. One of the things that really attracted me to Hackbright Academy is a lot of similar components to that. Hackbright is a three-month experience. It's focused specifically on women. And yes, it's about coding, but there are so many other components in there around empowering them, getting them ready, getting them feeling good about themselves, dealing with issues such as, say, imposter syndrome, which is one of the things that we did work on at Mills College is working with the students on that concept. I would say every freshman knows what the word imposter syndrome means. It's incorporated into classes, into lectures, so they have a sense of it and they can grasp it and kind of work through it during their time at the university. We talk about imposter syndrome a lot on the podcast. I mean, our team more also experienced it as well. But in the pre-chat, we talked a little bit about some of the things that are unique here at Hack, right? When it comes to imposter syndrome, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's amazing. We can have, well, right now, let's see, about 48% of the women that come into our program come from a STEM background. So that's science, technology, engineering, and math. Yet we were seeing that still these women were coming and going, Am I a software engineer? Am I prepared? Do I know what I'm doing? And I had to step back and go, well, this is really fascinating. I mean, they are coming from the field, yet they are still having those challenges. So stepping aside from that, that means we still have a high portion of women who are coming outside of STEM, but their reaction 
to am I ready? Do I have the skills was very similar. So I said, okay, that obviously there is this kind of overarching issue of imposter syndrome that everyone is feeling. And I think it's because the area of tech to a lot of them is foreign. They may have a background in STEM, but not necessarily in tech. So it was always kind of this elusive, oh, my friend works in tech, my boyfriend works in tech, but they themselves weren't working in tech. So almost as if they thought there was some sort of like magical potion to be able to work in tech. So I think that as they went through the program, they were still asking each other, am I a software engineer? Do I look like a software engineer? So I think the more that we can talk about that, that software engineers can look like many different things. We have Broadway performers who become software engineers. We have singers, we have musicians, we have baristas, we have people from so many walks of life coming through the program, being successful and stepping out being a software engineer. I think it's just a matter of once they get here from day one saying, you were chosen for a reason. You know, we have a very specific process in admissions for figuring out who's going to be successful. And by successful here, we define that as being able to grasp the curriculum and get through it successfully in a very fast 10-week period. The program is 12 weeks, but 10 weeks curriculum-based. The other two weeks deal with career services so that that's where we can really help them shine and push them forward as far as their confidence goes, getting ready for demo night, presenting in front of other companies. Is it five days a week, six days a week? It is five days a week, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. And we also have career coffees at 9 a.m. on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So before their day starts, career services is coming in and speaking with them around issues such as empowerment. Maybe they'll watch a a TED Talk, maybe Amy Cuddy or some piece about women in technology that's really going to kind of fire them up and get them ready for the week. Yeah. And you mentioned um, in the pre-interview, you mentioned there were some qualities that you started to notice in these women who actually go through the boot camp and they become successful. Mm -hmm. Can you just talk about some of those qualities? Sure. So when I came in, what I did was I looked at the women who were most successful, meaning, again, academically, they could do the work and career services could place them in a job. And I said, let me see their profiles. So I could go back, dig into their profiles and see if there were certain qualities and traits. I don't think it comes down to a degree or a university. It really comes down to the individual and I think how they see themselves and the grit that they have. So resilience was a huge factor. Discipline was a huge factor. Being resourceful, being collaborative, all of these things were kind of made up that formula that helped propel them towards success. The biggest challenge, though, I think with a boot camp when it's so intense is how do you manage stress? And when things start to get a little bit more complicated throughout the program, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to kind of step back for a minute, take a breath, figure it out and move forward? Or are you going to kind of throw up your hands and give up? So we want to make sure that we bring women in who are definitely going to say, I got to step away from this for a minute, but I'm going to come right back to it. Or they're going to lean on another classmate or they're going to talk about it in a group setting at the end of the week on Friday when they have an opportunity to really kind of download what happened during the week. So we make sure to form that collaborative community component so that they have each other to lean on. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about the way the questions were structured before you got here and like the changes that you made since you've been here? Sure. When I first got here, the application was more so just kind of an intake form. Who are you? Why do you want to come to Hackbright Academy? Have you done any coding in the past? So we flipped that so that we could get baseline data, number one. We needed to know who the women were, where are they coming from, what industries have they come from, what undergraduate degrees, interests, those types of things. And then we were able to start looking at those and identifying, okay, obviously the largest portion of women, they are coming from the Bay Area. Okay, number one. Then I wanted to identify which majors were the majors that they were coming in most consistently. Right now, I think our top majors are biology, math, 
physics, computer science, and engineering, okay? Which does make sense. But a lot of women from liberal arts are also successful if they come from a liberal arts program that is highly communicative. So that means lawyers, linguists, teachers, we were seeing high correlations of those women being successful as well. Interesting. Yeah. And we've interviewed several people uh, from Hagbright who have a theater and who have arts backgrounds. And they just said how, like, how much of those skill sets were transferable in helping them learn how to code and become engineers. So th- that's really amazing. I, you mentioned in the pre-interview that each of your students gets three mentors, which I think is great. And it's something that's very unique because uh, I know uh, other boot camps or I don't know another boot camp that actually assigns you three mentors. Is Hagbright doing anything else to help the students along the way? Sure. So with the three mentors, so basically we want to make sure that one mentor is a woman. We also want to know that you have one mentor who understands Python or who has coded in Python. And we also try to match you up area-wise. So if you live in South Bay, we would love to be able to match you up with somebody who's from South Bay. Also, if you come into Hackbright saying very specifically, mm-hmm. I'm interested in this field or this company, if we have a mentor coming in from that area, then we would want to pair you up. So you've got three mentors in your corner, cheering you on, helping you, helping you prep for the prep day, for technical interviews, mm-hmm. all those pieces. But I think the other thing that we do is that we really... It's really important to us that there is a sense of community form. So right from the beginning, when these women come in and they're with their cohort, we're making sure that there is alignment among them. We make sure that they do check-ins every week. Again, just the notes on the walls that you were mentioning earlier really does a lot for them to just feel a sense of community and belonging. I think if anything, you know, the women will leave Hackbright saying it was a very supportive environment because everyone is clearly in their corner, you know, trying to cheer them on. I think our career services also kind of takes it a step further. Shout out to Ronky. Yeah, exactly. One of our success coaches who helped set this up. Absolutely. Ronky's the best. Our career coaches, we've really set up a structured, I don't want to call it a curriculum, but a structured time frame around how they spend time with the students based on where the student is at. You can have a prescribed career services like week one, we do this. Week two, you do this. Week three, you do this. But what we're trying to do is really identify Who are the students in your cohort and what are the skills they need? Because you have 12 weeks to help them feel confident, successful, and ready to go for those interviews. We better utilize the time as best we can. The students are paying a lot of money and we want to make sure we can provide them the services they deserve. What do you find that the students, I guess, struggle the most with when they're about to graduate and start looking for a job? I think for some of them, you know, the whiteboarding is scary. So we try to incorporate far more whiteboarding exercises. We just launched, it's not, I'm going to call it a new program, but basically what we're doing is we're saying, once you graduate from Hackbright, we will continue to work with you for another six months. So we've designed this program where we have an alumni lounge at the other campus at 683 Sutter Street. And in the lounge, the alum will be invited back to attend guest lectures that are coming, whiteboarding sessions, and what other activities that we're going to have up there. Interviewing.io is going to be another opportunity. So before it was you graduate from the program, you know, we hope you had a great time. We hope you received the help and the resources you need. But we're saying that we want to now kind of continue that on for another six months and providing them the services and the lounge and the space to come together as a community, but also provide them some of these other technical skills. Um, They get, it's an area of need for them. Yeah. And related to the the things that you do after they graduate, uh, you talked about a little bit about partnerships. You guys have a bunch of partnerships. You talked a little bit about apprenticeships and things like that. And how you guys are thinking about things. Can you kind of touch on your thoughts on that? Sure. I think 
partnerships don't necessarily have to be a company who just wants to hire software engineers, right? Partnership could be a company who sees value in the mission that Hackbright is providing and wants to do more in terms of, this is in quotes, partnering with us. So that would mean providing scholarships for our women to come through the program, providing field trips for us to go to their company, to see what it looks like to be there, to meet some of the engineering team, to allow us to go there to do whiteboarding or to have individuals from their company come to Hackbright to do guest lectures or whiteboarding. You know, even just branding, co-branding with us could be another opportunity. So we see a lot of a lot of opportunities. And I would love to see far more kind of scholarshiping opportunities for for some of the women. You know, coding schools can be expensive. And, you know, the more that we can provide to some of these women, the better. How much does it cost to go to have, right? Right now it is sixteen five seventy. Okay. Now I might well, have that wrong, but I think it's sixteen five seventy. Do you have scholarships available right now? We do. We always have a full ride Facebook scholarship. Thank you, Facebook. Shout out to Facebook. Uh, and we have scholarships from Twilio. And let's see. I think that's it for right now. I can't remember if New Relic is providing scholarships. Got it. Got it. And recently you just joined this group of other 14 boot camps to, to talk about, like thinking about standardization. And I think, you know, there's a lot of talk about it right now. I mean, I think that you probably have a unique perspective on it just because you've also been in academics mm-hmm. in the traditional sense of, of things. So what are your thoughts about that? You know, it's interesting. So I've been working here about two years and I found it fascinating when I got here that there wasn't necessarily a prescribed accreditation that went along with it. So in some ways it can be like the wild, wild west, right? We're all providing these opportunities, but what does a certificate truly mean, you know, if there's no standardization across the board? So it was really interesting to go to some of these meetings where the boot camps are kind of talking about what they're doing, what the expectations are. Should it be tied to job placement numbers? You know, what about if we are taking federal funds? Do we want to take federal funds? What does that look like? One of the meetings I was at, you know, Department of Education was there just trying to get a better handle on what is this boot camp space and what does it look like? So from my perspective, I think if there is some sort of kind of structured accrediting body and expectation, it keeps everybody on the same page. It keeps everybody honest. And we're making sure that we are providing the services that we are, that we should be providing. You know, right now we have a hundred percent retention rate, graduation rate. And I feel that that's something that the boot camp should be striving for. It should be 95 to a hundred percent. And if not, then maybe they need to be providing more services or more resources for the individuals coming in. Can you give some examples of the companies that you, that hire Hackbright grads? Sure. Let's see. We have obviously New Relic. We have Dropbox. We have Twilio. We have GitHub. Slack. Yep. We got Eventbrite, Slack. Yep, SurveyMonkey. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. And I know when we originally talked, we talked a little bit about demographics that my, the stats may have changed, but sure. can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So right now the average woman who comes to Hackbright is 32 years old. 95% of the students that come in have undergraduate degrees. And I think I said this a little while ago, the top degrees right now are biology, math, physics, uh, computer science, and engineering. Um, let's see, 44% women of color, 17% historically underrepresented women. coming with a STEM background and the top industries that women are coming from right now, technology, finance, business in a general sense, and marketing. And let's see, right now, the two top feeder schools 
in our program for this quarter were Berkeley and the school behind that was Stanford. Interesting. Interesting. And so when it comes to the alums, you said you have... We have over 550 alums. Awesome. Yeah, in Very the fellowship cool. program. Very cool. Do you guys do workshops in the area or like intros to meetups and things like that for people? Again, going back to the alumni component, really focusing on the alum is something that's kind of near and dear to my heart. Yeah. So we're trying to really grow that opportunity. So we just started a newsletter. We actually now have an alumni a portal where we put jobs in, but we also stream certain talks and webinars by other women. And we try to make it kind of a joining place for alum that maybe haven't been connected so much in the past to see, you know, hey, come on back and see kind of the things we're doing. And we want to bring them an opportunity to come back for guest lectures, again, for if they want to, you know, come back and sharpen their whiteboarding skills or they want to do some, you know, hacker rank type coding challenges, you know, yeah. it's all available well, for them. Yeah. What do you think uh, are some of the misconceptions that companies have around bootcamp grads? Being from a bootcamp myself, I know that there's some, there's a lot of misconceptions and over the years, a lot of them have gone away, but what are the type of things that you're seeing right now that companies may misunderstand? Sure. I think companies will say, well, we really want to hire people with CS degrees and they don't want to look at a bootcamp grad. You know, And one of the things that I would say to that is, again, like I said, 95% of our women come with undergraduate degrees, 35% of them are coming with master's degrees. So these are people with a lot of education behind them and they have experience behind them. So they're coming through a bootcamp. If they are resilient and smart and they can get through a bootcamp and they have all the, the degrees behind them and the past experience, it's almost kind of a, a kind of like a double shot opportunity for the companies to hire them because they can do the coding, but they are also coming with so many other skills based on kind of the jobs and the other degrees that they have. Yeah. And in the pre-interview, you mentioned that sometimes coding is not for everyone. And um, there's some people who might apply and then later they realize that, oh, like this job is, you actually end up doing X when you thought it was Y. So what advice do you have for our listeners? who are thinking about coding as a career path, and they're, uh, they think they could be great engineers, but they've never actually done the job. So they don't know what the job actually entails. So what advice would you have for them? You know, it's really interesting. A large portion of the women that come to Hackbright, they have a very close friend, family member, or a partner who is a software engineer. So they have kind of firsthand experience and understanding from someone. So if someone is out there saying, hey, this might be for me, this seems really cool. I've been reading a lot about it. I would say, one, you have to talk to people in the industry. You have to see what they like about their job, what keeps it interesting, what excites them about it. And then the other thing I would say is they have to get at least, I'd say, 40 hours of experience. Just jump online, jump on some free coding sites and start jumping in there and seeing if you like to solve the puzzles. You know, is this something that intrigues you? Because getting into a boot camp and spending a lot of money for a 12-week program shouldn't be kind of the jumping off point. You really have to do some of that assessing beforehand. And if you do 40 hours of it beforehand and you love it, then maybe this is the right thing for you. I had um, one woman who I interviewed for Hackbright once and I thought it was hilarious because when we were talking, I said, so you really enjoy this? She's like, yeah, I really do. I, I love doing coding challenges on my spare time, this and that. And then she kind of whispered it. She said, on Friday nights, I don't like to go out. I actually like to go home and do coding challenges, you know? <laughs> and she said it like it was some like dirty secret or something. And I was just like, this is great. This is, these are the people that we want. You yeah. know? Yeah. I had another woman who said to me once, you know, when I was in school, people talked about wanting to be, you know, oh, I want to be a teacher. I want to be a policeman. I want to be a doctor. And she said, 
I raised my hand and I said, I want to be a, a coder. I want to be a software yeah. engineer, yeah. you know? And I was like, that's great. That's awesome. That's awesome. And in the pre-chat, you also talked a little bit about um, the way you think about the application process and rejection. And so you have like hard and soft. Yeah. So um, can you talk about that? Sure. Absolutely. So with something like a boot camp, which is only three months long, sometimes we'll get applicants that we can see are clearly on the right path. They're just not there yet to jump into a very intense 12-week program. So those are people that we would give a, a soft deny to. So a soft deny would be, it would be a rejection from the program, but we're not saying goodbye forever. We're just saying goodbye for now. So that means just get some more experience, get a little bit more exposure, and we would love to see you apply back to Hackbright. Now, something else that we haven't talked about is that Hackbright is starting a prep program, which launches in April. We used to have an intro to programming, which was a part-time class. So this is in the evenings, eight weeks. It is now a prep program. So it is an eight-week prep program for people who think that they want to go into a boot camp and they, you know, they want to get their feet wet. They have experience. They have exposure. And the understanding is it'll be kind of an intense boot camp prep experience that'll lead them directly into the full-time fellowship. And we're just going to launch it in April. It'll be the first cohort. Congratulations. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about, do you guys do demo days? We do. Yeah. Can you talk about the demo day? Sure. So demo day is the day where all of the women get to present their projects to partner companies who are actually hiring during that quarter. So one quarter, you know, we could have Facebook there. Maybe Facebook won't be there the next quarter, depending on if they're hiring level one engineers or not. So once you're past week five at Hackbright, you start working on your project. The beauty of Hackbright, at least the beauty I think, is that you work on your project solo at Hackbright. So it's your project alone. There is no help from anyone else on this project. Demo night is the night where you actually get to show what you've built to a room full of partner companies. We prep the students, we get them ready for their projects. The academic staff are constantly there with them, working through some of the bugs, trying to help them kind of figure out what directions they need to go in. And then career services preps them on how to present yourself because you have roughly three minutes to kind of share your story and demo your project and how do you put your best foot forward. So we put, we spent a lot of time on that. And then on the demo night, like I said, they get to demo their project and then it looks kind of like a speed dating. So they demo their project. The companies are at individualized tables based on your cohort. So we have Ada and Grace um, at 683 and we have the Catherine cohort here. So Ada and Grace are on the same schedule. They would do demo night together in two separate rooms with companies with, say they, they send two reps, one in each room, and they're at numbered tables. So after the presentations, there's a break and then you come back in and then you rotate through the room, through each company, talking to them about the projects that they just witnessed you present in front of the entire room. Wow. That is also where the majority of the hires come from. Interesting. Interesting. So would you say a lot of the graduates kind of get hired through, I guess, the network and the career services that Hackbright provides? Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> what about like, I know with App Academy, a lot of the times they just, I think they make you submit 200 applications in the first like two weeks. What do you recommend? Like, your, what, what, your is your, yeah. what is your advice for people looking to get a job? Maybe they haven't graduated a hag bride, but they're in the job search field now. So what advice do you have for them? Sure. I would say go to as many meetups as you can, shake as many hands as you can, put yourself out there as much as possible. And one of the things I've noticed lately being successful for, for people are writing blogs on their experience, what they're creating, their coding experience. One of the women in our program posted a blog a couple of weeks ago and 
she ended up getting, I think, three or four phone calls from it and getting interviews and wow. ended up actually getting a job from one of them. So personal brand is important. Yep, absolutely. And that's one of the things we constantly talk to the women about in career services is that we can provide these tools and these services, but it's really up to them to kind of go the extra mile. And I think that experience that we saw four weeks ago was just amazing and how, you know, it ended up leading to a leading to a job with not a partner company. Yeah. Great. Are there any other things that we should know about the that people should know about the program as they're evaluating decisions about where they should go? Well, I think for a lot of people, there's a misunderstanding about an all women's experience. You know, um, we've had a lot of people come for info sessions and say, oh, this isn't what I expected at all because they've never been exposed to an all female classroom. But I think come to an info session, come to a coffee chat, just understand more about who we are, what the curriculum looks like and what the community is like. For the most part, I feel people walk away saying, oh, this was great. I really feel comfortable here. I feel like this is a place I can see myself, which is one of the things women consistently say. So I would say, yeah, just come by, come to an event, you know, learn a little bit more about who we are. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So at this point in our podcast, we do the lightning round. And this is where the three of us will ask you five or six questions, but try to provide short responses with uh, any strategies, any tactics any resources that you've used or you recommended to your students? Arthur, take it yeah. away. So um, recently we tried to switch up the questions a little bit to give a little bit more spice. So for this one, if you were uh, creating a Twitter or Facebook message that the whole world could see, uh, what would it be? About Hackbright? Or just in general, like if, if you knew that the whole world would see the message, would receive it? It could be about Hackbright or it could be about something else. <laughs> So if you could send a message to all the Hackbright grads right now, what would it say? It would probably be more about inspiration and how they remember that what they're doing is inspiring the next group of women. So keep going and keep going strong because you're just inspiring the next group of women who will then inspire the next group of women. Yeah. That's, I think that's a great segue for what I've been thinking about for this question. Is, um, since you did your dissertation in female empowerment and you've spoken with so many girls, what were some of the key takeaways that you got from those 200 interviews that you got that would be inspiring to someone that's trying to go through the Hack Bright experience now? A lot of the interviews talked about challenging issues. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm not quite sure how inspiring. Some- what were some of the key takeaways? Because something that we talk about too is like struggles that people go through oh. and trusting your struggle. And sometimes you got to embrace those things and that, that yeah. kind of develops you to be someone that mm-hmm. makes you much stronger in the future. It might be, you know, there are other people like you, right? Right. Were there any conclusions that you came up with after going through the interviews? So the whole reason I did the book was so that girls wouldn't feel alone, so that they could maybe, so it was 10 stories of 10 different girls, eating disorder, dating violence, bullying, peer pressure, cutting, poor relationships with parents. So I figured if it was 10 stories from 10 different girls, a girl could pick up the book and she may not resonate with the girl in chapter five or six, but maybe the girl in chapter one and the girl in chapter 10 could give her inspiration and hope and saying, okay, this is her story. This looks so much like my story. And look how she was able to come through the other side. With each story, I also posted kind of a Dr. Carol suggestions. So basically you would see the girl's story and I would write this section on, if you look like this girl, here are some things to think about. Here are some resources. Here are some ideas to kind of help you deal with that challenge. So that was kind of the whole premise of the book is that other girls could kind of look at these stories and say, wow, I see I can completely relate to what this girl went through. 
that's exactly what my parents did, or that's exactly what my friends did to me. And having an idea of maybe how they could kind of get through the experience a little bit easier or had some resources to kind of navigate it. Yeah. Yeah. And in the free chat, you also mentioned that you're used to being where we're sitting and maybe you, do you like sitting, flipping the switch in this lightning round? Do you have any questions for us? I'd love to know how the three of you got together. Oh, it's a good story. It's a good story. Timor, take it away. Yeah. Well, um, this guy here to my left, yeah. uh, he's my stunt double. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, I mean, Arthur's my twin brother and uh, the three of us actually met four or five years ago, back when we used to live on the East Coast in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And it was an interesting point in our lives because we were all on paper. We were all like very successful. And on paper, it looked like we had great jobs. Arthur and Ruben were doing investment banking together. I was doing project management, managing the Android and iOS team for a tech company in Atlanta. But on the inside, we weren't, we didn't feel like we were making an impact. And we were reading a lot of stories from Y Combinator founders and a lot of just like young kids starting companies and we and we wanted to make an impact. So the three of us said, hey, like, why don't we start a company? And once we had that idea, we started going to Atlanta Tech Village. And at some point we realized that we needed to be on the West Coast and kind of merge ourselves into this ecosystem. So we came up with a plan where uh, Ruben would focus on partnerships and sales. Arthur and I we quit our jobs and started teaching ourselves how to code. So long story short, we came out here, kind of did what we set out to do. And then after writing several blog posts, Ruben wrote a blog post called Breaking Into Startups, which was uh, the first post he did after he came out here. And then we wrote another one called The Reality of Breaking Into Startups, which describes the journey of how we met and how um, we came up with this plan. And a lot of people reached out to us asking us, hey, like, it's amazing what you guys did. How can I do this too? And after dozens of emails, we said, hey, how do we scale this? Which led us to start the podcast. I think that's and, a pretty great summary. I think a lot of the things that he's touching on is actually pretty relevant to Hackbyte, just given a lot of people have bachelor's degrees or have their master's degrees and are switching to learn how to code. Because like he said, on paper, it looked like we had everything together. But we actually read this blog post called Climbing the Wrong Hill that kind of describes life like you're on a hilly terrain and it's kind of foggy in, in any direction that you walk, you naturally climb up. And so what, as you climb up, the view gets a little bit clearer. But what people don't realize is like the point of this hilly terrain in life is like to climb Everest, which represents your life's purpose. So that's where our Twitter handle actually came from was like Everest 10X was came from that. And But in order to climb back up a hill, you have to climb down your little hill that you're on to climb back up. But a lot of people aren't willing to do that because they're kind of comfortable with their management position or their, their amount of money that they're making. You got to take risks to go back down and go back up. And a lot of times, if you're going to climb Everest, you can't climb Everest by yourself. You got to do it together, which goes back to the community and bringing it back. And so that's, that's why we started this. It's amazing. It, you know, it's interesting you say that. So when I was I had worked at universities since I I mean, I worked at university when I was in college and then I worked at them for 20 years. And once I got to the dean role, I was like, okay, I'll do this. And then what's next? And then becoming a vice provost. But I quickly realized I didn't want to be a, a provost and I didn't want to be a university president. So it was kind of like, oh, wow. So I was just like, okay. So it was kind of like, I got to take two steps back. But it was almost a blessing in disguise because I feel like it gave me the room to go, you know what? I'm going to, I want to write that book. I want to go back to dealing with the girls and empowerment and self esteem. And then honestly, just like the journey to meeting David, who, you know, co founded Hackbright, 
And finding myself here is really fascinating. It's so not traditional higher ed. I am the oldest person, literally, in this entire company. (laughs) It's weird because in traditional academia, I'm on the younger end. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So it's fascinating. I'm, you know, I'm like, what? Like this is, and it's great, and I'm, and I'm loving it, and I love ed tech, and I love talking to other companies who are in that space because there are companies that I talk to, and they'll say, hey, this is a product that we're designing. Sometimes it's usually products around dealing with college students and helping them make that leap to college. And I'll look at their product and I'll say, well, do this and don't do that. And that's not how admissions works. And if you want to really get somewhere, you have to get to a superintendent. So I can kind of advise people in this space. And I feel like that was all part of the plan, yeah. even though I didn't know it was the plan. And for the people that don't know, can you tell them the story about how you actually got the job? Because it's very similar to yeah. like the breaking startups job search process. Sure. So a friend of mine had hired an engineer from Hackbright. She called me to just talk about academic research. I was giving her some information around that. And then she said, hey, I hired a a grad from Hackbright. And I said, I didn't know what Hackbright was. She said, you should check it out. So I said, okay, I went online and looked at the website and I loved it. I loved what they were doing. The hashtag was change the ratio. It was a coding school designed just for women. I mean, it couldn't have gotten better for me based on my background in, you know, education, admissions, female empowerment. It kind of was the perfect culmination of all those things. And so I just literally wrote an email. There was no phone. So I literally wrote an email and said, I love what you're doing. If you ever need any high level kind of admission strategy, I would love to talk to you. But if you, if you don't, I love what you're doing. I just want you to know that I think it's amazing. Yeah. And so I sent it in and I got a response. And then probably three days later, I met with the co-founder. Awesome. Awesome. And yeah, it's, and it's, it's a great story. Yeah. And it's uh, interesting to highlight that the founder of Hagbride, the founder or the CEO of Hack Reactor, and uh, the founder of App Academy, they all were together attending the first cohort of Dev Bootcamp. Yeah, yeah. So back so in 2012. Yeah. yeah, and then they created this whole space of it's coding beautiful. bootcamps. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a nice little circle. And um, what can we expect from Hackbright in the future and from Dr. Carol Langlois? Um, I think we should go to this show. That's a play in San Francisco? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. I think that would be great. We'll include the link in the show notes. Uh, but yeah, tell, tell us a little bit more about plans for 2017. Let's see. We would love to expand probably next to the South Bay. Probably makes sense if we can partner with a company that is willing to give us space. So I think that would be a great opportunity. I also see opportunities for us to expand maybe in the East Bay. Maybe there's an opportunity to expand our products. You know, right now we offer a full-time fellowship and this prep program but there's so many other things in between, especially related to tech and education. You know, there could be weekend intensives, two-week intensives. There's, there's just so much that you can offer in the space. The, the challenge is that if we're going to offer it, we have to offer it right. And it has to be built and designed correctly yeah. so that people can get the most out of it. But, you know, we're not slowing down anytime soon. You know, the, our hopes here and our passion here is to continue on with what we're doing and just keep bringing in more and more women so we can continue to change the ratio. Awesome. How can we stay in touch with you? My email probably is the best way. So it's just carol at hackbrightacademy.com. I'm also on Twitter, which is just dr carol langua, which is L-A-N-G-L-O-I-S. Awesome. 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 And thank you for spending time with us on your birthday. It's a clear Absolutely. commitment to your, to your passion for this and enjoy yeah. dinner and yeah. see you later. Yeah. <laughs> Take care. Well, Thanks. thank you for having me. Thank you this very much. Wonderful. Have a good one. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews. 
by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in. Let's break in.